Okay, uh, welcome to the PSSD Network podcast, episode two. Uh, today's podcast is going to be all around the moment of realization. So the moment we realized that we have PSSD, the moment we clocked onto that piece of information, what steps we took, who we talked to, and kind of how we responded to the uh, early realization. If you haven't listened to episode one, I highly recommend it. Uh, it's four sufferers in their 20s from around the world talking about what it's like to live with this condition. If you're interested in participating, please get in touch. It would be good to hear from sufferers, family members, interested professionals. Just get in touch in any way, any channel. Um, today's participants, uh, we're all based in England. Uh, we've got Roy. Hi, Roy. Yeah. Um, Hi. You got PSSD from Citalopram. Um, Simon. Yeah, Hi, right. Simon. Hi, yeah. Um, and you got PSSD from, well, Citalopram, Zoloft, Venlafaxine, one of those. Yeah. Um, and myself. I got PSSD from Zoloft. Um, this conversation might go into some darkish places, but it might provide some relief and some hope to sufferers too, and we need that. Um, the goal is not to bring us all down, but sometimes we do have to be honest about this condition to show people what it's really like. And we do this in the interests of driving knowledge and understanding into PSSD. Okay, so let's make a start here. Um, as I said in the intro there, the point today is to think a little bit about uh, what it felt like and how we responded when we first realized that we have PSSD. Um, you know, my, my story, I didn't, I didn't realize that the sexual dysfunction that I had on Zoloft was a problem. I just thought that was normal. I thought sexual dysfunction is normal on antidepressants. Um, so I didn't report it to my doctor. I didn't Google it. I didn't do anything. I just thought, Hey, this is what happens when you have antidepressants. Um, it was only months after I stopped taking the drug that the penny slowly dropped. Um, so it was a very gradual realization for me. Um, and that culminated in a quite a, a bruising Christmas 2022 experience where I, I, I began, you know, like the penny began, began to drop. I had not just some basic dysfunction that, that will resolve, but actually some sort of long-term slash permanent injury. Um, so I might come to you first, Simon. Um, and, uh, when did you come to the realization that you have PSSD, you know, well, was I, it, sorry, carry on. was it something gradual? Was it very instantaneous kind of, how did you come to the knowledge that you have PSSD? It was gradual and then instantaneous. So I had the symptoms like the genital numbness back in 2012, uh, pretty much instantly after starting the antidepressant, um, which I started on Citalopram. And um, I just assumed that that was just a side effect. My doctor didn't tell me anything about this. My GP told me nothing about any like, sexual side effects or anything. All it said on the packaging back then was don't drive while operating heavy machinery. Um, so I'd, I had no warning that this could happen. Um, so over the years, from 2012 to 2022, I had like difficulty sexually, and it, it led to a lot of confusion about like sexuality and just so much turmoil and not knowing the reason. I, I thought it was depression or diet or something like that. But again, like you, I had quite a bruising um, Christmas 2022 because I came across Joe McFarlane's Mail on Sunday article about the hidden epidemic of PSSD. Um, and that was brought about by the guys at PSSD Network. So obviously I've got a lot to thank them for because I would have carried on blind wondering why I've got numb genitals, like almost zero emotional range, not being able to feel the effects of alcohol anymore, just 
having no lust for life anymore and no excitement from what used to give me like a real adrenaline rush um so that was my my real realization was seeing the news article and then i also saw another article in the metro um about a, a chap in london who's had the same situation and i read that he'd seen a neurologist and a urologist and nobody could help him and as soon as i read that my world just fell apart and i i was like bedridden for about a month after finding out i didn't leave my house i just thought well half of me is dead i just i just thought like this is so dark and so bad the fact that this can happen and also i'd, I'd like the i actually discussed this in the independent uh, in Ireland uh, newspaper uh, it was published last week um, and it was basically just saying how you kind of regret the life you could have had you regret the injury you've had and you also regret it gives you pain to worry about what you're missing out on the neutral as well and it's not just about sex it's about being able to enjoy life like it's affected my career as well and things like that so so yeah that my point of realization was seeing a news article that was the moment I knew PSSD even existed. So if had I come across another news article years before, I would have instantly been like, that's definitely me because it matches all of my symptoms match up exactly what's happening. And I've since been tested positive for small fibre neuropathy. So maybe that has what's happened as well. So you mentioned um, it was Christmas 22 that you sort of realised. It's just by pure coincidence, I had the same experience. Um, now, my brain, I think... I've got all these coping mechanisms where my brain just didn't really let me look at it properly. Whereas I was kind of becoming aware of this thing called PSSD and my brain was going, no, not me, no, no. Um, and it was, it almost, my brain only allowed the information in over a period of months. So it was kind of a gradual awareness for me, yeah. but it sounded from what you said that it was more of a kind of, a, a kind of instantaneous realization over Christmas. Yeah, Christmas is a really hard time of year yeah. for a lot of people with mental health issues well just people in general actually it's not always you know it's that juxtaposition between how jolly it's supposed to be and things and if you're not feeling that inside it can be a really difficult time um i wonder if you could just describe that in a little bit more detail like how did you respond to figuring out you had pssd in that christmas so the first thing i did was google it for more articles more research i looked up forums to see if there are any cures and um and i was doing this on Christmas Day, but I didn't mention it to my family. It must have been about two weeks until I mentioned to my family and told them, like, yeah, I've realised something really bad has happened, and um, I basically lost eleven years of my life and potentially a lot more years. Um, so it was, yeah, it was just googling it really, and I was I was lucky to find the PSSD Network website, which is PSSDNetwork.org, and um, found they had like WhatsApp support groups. And honestly, I don't even know if I'd be here now if i hadn't found that if i hadn't met you guys i've had i had probably my lowest day um i, I rang roy and roy's just amazing like you know I'd, I'd you probably remember the call but like i was just in pieces and roy like roy is you're both you know you're both brilliant guys and i just think you know we really really reach other um so it's yeah every day is a nightmare like just getting to the end of the day is like an achievement it's like climbing a mountain every day because like i don't want to there's just so many triggers of how my life could have been um, for me, it's, sorry, it is similar sort of story to Simon. Um, as soon as I took the drug, I knew straight away that the, um, you know, the, the sexual effects were very obvious. Um, I had a high sex drive before uh, taking citalopram and um, like everything worked normal. And then when I took the drug, like I noticed genital anesthesia, uh, completely lost my libido. It was almost like a switch had just been turned off in my brain. And I just completely stopped thinking about sex. Um, 
And then when I had an orgasm, um, I remember it was really weird. It sort of like seemed to sort of shoot almost into a different sort of in my brain, like the, the pleasure sensation went a sort of different way. And um, it was it was almost like almost pleasureless. It was like maybe 10 percent of the pleasure that, that I had before. And I thought that's really weird. And then um, I just assumed it was the drug and that the, the effects would go away when I stopped taking the drug. So I wasn't like too concerned. And then I stopped taking the drug. I only took the drug for about three and a half weeks and it, the, the effects didn't go away. And it was probably about a month afterwards that I started becoming a bit more concerned. You know, I sort of assumed when I first came off, oh, maybe it'll just take a bit more time to come back to normal. And as the months dragged on, I just became more and more concerned. And uh, then I went to my GP and sort of like explained the whole situation, said, look, you know, I took this drug, this telepram, and it's completely wiped out my sex drive. I just, I have no sexual feelings whatsoever. And, um, you know, my genitals are numb. I, there's no sensation of pleasure and I can't have orgasms. Um, I don't, I don't know when it was, but a, a period afterwards, I, I noticed as well that my emotions were numb. Like, like when I listened to music, it didn't really give me a buzz. Whereas before, when before having uh, taken citalopram, I used to get sort of a buzz out of you know, it affect my emotions, and I could really in, enjoy music. And I just sort of stopped like enjoying that. And I just, um, yeah, I mean, it was it was really really quite obvious to me that the drug had caused all this. And then. Um, it took me a little bit longer to realize that I was suffering from PSSD. So after a while of being off the drug, I looked online to see if anyone else had had similar problems. Um, and this was back in 2007. So I first took Citalopram in 2007. So I've been suffering from PSSD now for almost 16 years. And um, back then there wasn't a lot of stuff on the internet. There was like uh, the Audrey Barrick um, sort of article and the Wikipedia page. And there was also um, a few people on Yahoo sort of complaining about it and saying like, you know, you know, this is awful. And they'd been like five, six, seven years off and they hadn't recovered. So I started getting worried. Um, and then um, I'd been referred to uh, see a psychiatrist for my OCD because I was prescribed Telepram for OCD. And I printed off some of this literature. I think this was in 2008 just to, to take it to my my psychiatrist. And he he basically... He wouldn't even read it. He was really, he was really quite um, dismissive, dismissive of it. He wouldn't read it, and um, he just put it down. He just says anxiety and depression. It's not the drug. And uh, my GP, when I um, persistently brought it up with him as well, he said, "Well, the drug's out of your system. It, it, it's not the drug." And it was to cut a long story short, it just started a long process of like 16 years of not being believed by doctors um and just very frustrating um being yeah and just just constantly being disbelieved um yeah which was very very difficult to go through like yeah yeah um thanks for that roy i mean to me it sounds like you're the most you're the world's most gaslit person almost for long, yeah for, for how long you've been through this and the number of people yeah. you've seen and yeah yeah you know that's the reason we're we're doing these sorts of podcasts is to 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 make this a more um known quantity um yeah yeah and i think um just just what i was thinking when you were talking there i think uh getting psd undermines your faith in the whole medical establishment and the whole the whole system of science as we have it i mean um the fact that none of these professionals understand this condition or know anything about it yet we know we have it we know it implicitly you know, when you lose your libido, it's not just some vague feeling. No, know? yeah, yeah. Lo losing your libido is it's equivalent to going blind or deaf. It's it's that level of sensory impairment. Um, it's not just some fuzzy, like vague feeling, you know. Um, 
I say the same about the emotional anesthesia as well. It's like I found that was like losing a sense. So I felt I lost two senses, both my sexuality and my emotions. Um, and I actually find I think the emotional anesthesia a little bit more distressing um, in my like for, for myself personally, although I find them both very distressing. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, people on the outside massively struggle to see this from our point of view. They struggle to empathize it because it's just so alien. You know, they, they just cannot even contemplate or fathom the idea that you can lose your emotions. That just sounds ridiculous. So um, I suppose when I say that, I think when we're talking to people, we, if we want to be believed, we do have to remember how just incredible our story sounds. You know, it just sounds bizarre, you know. Um, and I find when I'm talking on Twitter and things, I get really angry when people don't believe us. Yeah, people, yeah. Um, but to think about it from their perspective, it's a hard, th it's a hard thing to wrap your head around. I suppose, yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose it's true, yeah, yeah. And my, I've got family members like my dad saying things like, no, no, it's not possible that a drug can cause these effects. It wouldn't be on the market. It couldn't possibly be on the market. And that's the perspective they are coming from. And that's what I would have thought. Well, how can a drug like this possibly be on the market? Um, yeah, my so sister's a bit the same. She sort of believes in the, the mental health, the sort of medical system and that the doctors sort of kind of, they know everything and yeah, they wouldn't give you something that would harm you kind of thing, yeah. So I think to end that point, I think um, people are not being malicious or stupid when they don't believe us. It's yeah. just that our, our story really is unfathomable. You know, it's, it's hard to wrap your head around. Um, yeah. If I could come back to you, Simon, um, you mentioned when you first realized you had PSSD that you kind of got online and you just started looking, you know, finding things online. What was that like to kind of be searching through, you know, uh, Google, I guess? I mean, what did you stumble across and how did that feel? Well, I mean, I, I, really, I noticed there's a Wikipedia page, so that gave it credibility. But for some unknown reason, that's recently been deleted. So that's really strange. Um, I also came across just news articles, really, and um, the like, PSSD Network website looked the most credible to me. Um, I saw that there was mountains of literature dating back to 2006. Um, so I, I felt like this is a really like study it is it has been studied quite extensively there's been lots of studies on rats they don't, don't think there's been any human studies that i know of um so there was that and i, and, I mean what i also found quite surprising very quickly was that the, i discovered that there's other conditions that have very similar hallmark symptoms like post finasteride syndrome isotretinoin roaccutane and acutane and even things like ashwagandha and um what's the other one, saw palmetto. So there seems to be a, a load of different like man-made and naturally occurring substances that can, I'm guessing, overwhelm the nervous system or down-regulate receptors in the brain. Obviously, we need we need more research. There's research going on at the minute, but like that, that's what I came across was really, I was probably spent most of my time reading about research. And when I heard people's stories, that just made me feel even worse. Like it really, it really did because there was a lot of, there's a lot of catastrophizing. I read a lot of people complaining, but not kind of looking for answers. And that's why I thought, well, let's not just complain. Let's do some, let's try and do something about it. And that's, that's why, you know, we're here doing this now, because if we didn't try and raise awareness, we may as well just all give up. Like we need to do something. And, and that, so, yeah, it was mainly just trolling through the internet. And um, I also went to see my doctor as well. I, I knew they wouldn't be able to help me because I knew it wasn't a very well-known I didn't know the prevalent statistics at the time. 
Um, and my GP just said, like, well, I haven't heard of it, but I'm a very like forthright person. So I said to them, like, look, I need to see a neurologist, a urologist, a uroneurologist, and an endocrinologist. And uh, so far, I got a neurology appointment rejected twice, uh, and I just gave up and did it privately. I've had a biopsy, cost me nearly three grand. Um, I'm still waiting. It's taken over a year to go. No, not a year. It's taken since February to get a referral for a urologist. So I've got a referral, but I still don't have an appointment. Um, so basically, I just I'm just trying to check every part of my body and system as possible um, to see if there's any indication of any abnormalities. But the reality probably is that I, I don't I don't think anyone's found any biomarkers yet for PSSD. So um, it's just. It's really difficult because when you know you've got something wrong with you, but there's no what you can't validate it, you feel like you've kind of been, it's like you've been possessed or something. It's like you know fully well that there's something's gone catastrophically wrong in your brain and body. Um, so you really have like two things to deal with. One is actually suffering from the trauma of the injury itself, and another is the repeat trauma of people saying like my like my mum said to me she's been a nurse for 40 years and this has been really difficult because she's like she has full faith in medicine even to this day she's been really stubborn about it all and uh, the first thing she said oh Simon you're having another one of your tantrums like you used to when you were a kid and then that really really pissed me off and also she's worked in a, a sex offenders prison as the head nurse so she will have been prescribing SSRIs to sex offenders well not prescribing their choice and she worked in a sexual health clinic um for the nhs for a number of years so she's she has definitely prescribed ssris so uh to, to patients and prisoners so um and i've just found it quite unsatisfying how she hasn't really acknowledged what's happened to me and that's given me more trauma i just and, that, and that's kind of why i've done things like i've appeared in the telegraph um a couple of months ago with my face showing and everything so I just thought well actually um, it's a bit of a cry for help because I think well how bad does a problem have to be like PSD is a catastrophe it's in its unfolding for our eyes it's a car crash we're all observing it. we know it's happening we know people are asleep a little like the HRA I had a response from them recently and they're not interested in helping saying on the resource so so there's yeah there's I've tried lots of things and um but in terms of like the, the medical side of things like trying to get help um that's been futile that's been written I, I may i will look at the other areas like urology when i can get a referral but i can't really afford to just keep shelling out for private appointments and i feel like it's a real slap in the face the fact that not only is the nhs and mhra's gross negligence put me in this situation they're not even willing to help now it's happened it's like it's like someone saying i acknowledge you're on fire i've got a book here i can definitely help you out but i'm not going to and I can't provide a reason why I won't. I'm just not going to. So it's a really frustrating situation to be in. If it wasn't for my severe emotional blunting, I'd get extremely angry about this thing, about this this situation. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I, I had a sort of negative experience with the MHRA as well. Like um, they, well, yeah, I um, it was kind of a bit of a bizarre experience actually. I phoned up to do a yellow card report um, with the MHRA, and um, when I was um, uh, basically talking to the scientist there who took the, re the report, he was actually sniggering with his uh, colleague um, about when I was reading out my sexual symptoms. And that really, I actually made an official complaint about it. It was actually like genuinely that actually happened. It was really bad. And uh, yeah, so I, I had quite a negative experience with the MHRA. 
But um, Simon brings up a point, um, quite a good point, actually, um, about how often like you're not only gaslit by the, the medical community, but like also by the family. So it kind of feels can sort of feel like almost like a double whammy. Like, you know, you get the doctors who don't believe you and then you, your own family. I've, I've heard this so many times from other PSSD sufferers. It's like you just feel completely alone because it's like you you're stuck in this body that can't feel sexual pleasure or can't feel emotions and you can't you can't sort of react uh, sort of interact with the world like you used to and um you're trying to tell people about it and no one believes you like not only the medical community like the doctors your family don't often and often your friends don't understand so it's like it can be very very isolating and sort of lonely to sort of deal with it like yeah so um completely empathize with that sort of isolation idea roy and um, I'm just wondering if, because you've been in, in this for a few years, um, you know, have you found anything to help with kind of the isolation that comes with PSSD? Um, I suppose like um, before, I think it was um, 2017, before that, so I went quite a long time, about 10 years, and I didn't speak to anyone else who had PSSD. But in, in 2017, I joined Surviving Antidepressants, and I found quite a few other people who suffered from the condition and um, I started talking to them. So I got some support that way, like, cause they were the only real people that understood what I'd gone through. So I found that that really helped. Um, uh, yeah. So, but apart from that, you mean like over the years, you sort of adapt to it a little bit better. Um, but I mean, I remember in the first three years of having PSSD, I often felt acutely suicidal. I'd have suicidal thoughts and feelings regularly. Um, and I still get suicidal thoughts and feelings, but they're a lot less now. Um, and um like i mean like you know you see the years go by and you think you know is this ever going to end there's there's people that have been off the drug for over 20 years and they still haven't recovered and well audrey barrick who did the, the first study she's been 27 years off and she's still got all of the sexual symptoms and to be honest that's like her life's been ruined really i mean like she's i mean i don't want to sound negative i mean like but it, it kind of is i mean with this condition I, I can't enjoy life i like i feel like i'm existing and surviving really if i'm going to be honest it's not really a life and I just sort of look at people like that and 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 when I was in the early years um I was looking at people five six seven years off not recovering I thought you know am I going to ever recover from this and it was a very lonely isolating place I often felt very depressed and it was very hard and there was no support and like I, I honestly I in the 16 years of having PSSD I changed doctor surgery two or three times in that period and I've spoken to a lot of doctors and I think like I could count about two or three that have sort of believed me or taken me seriously and like some of the responses I've had from doctors have not only been they haven't believed me they've almost been really quite rude um I've even had a couple of doctors laughing at me um not just at the fact that they think it's so ridiculous that I've got this condition but actually laughing at the fact that I've got sexual symptoms you know it was, there's been a few that have been quite unpleasant and um it's kind of quite humiliating to keep putting yourself out there keep going to the doctor saying look I've got this problem I need help I'm I don't know what to do I don't know who to turn to I'm alone with this and for them to just you know sometimes even laugh at you it's it's not it's very difficult and um yeah so it's uh, but then once I sort of found a few other people it it did help it a little bit and I think now with the PSSD network there's a lot more support for people who are really sort of struggling with it so I think um yeah it's a good thing obviously that the network's tied up and stuff so yeah so have you connected with I mean have you got friendships with people um oh, sorry, example. sorry yeah yeah so and um a few other people yeah that I have made friendships with yeah yeah mm -hmm. we help support each other yeah 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm very thankful to you, Simon, because you just reached out to me from seeing a post, I think, that I made on Facebook, I think it was. Um, I'm very thankful that you did that because um, that put me in touch with the WhatsApp group that we're all on. Quite a big, quite a, quite a big group, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you didn't need to do that. You know, you just no, no, yeah, you I just chose to do it that day. That You know, that's that's yeah. been everything for me. I don't know. It would have been a hell of a lot harder the last right. year or so if I hadn't got into that WhatsApp group. Um, reason being that I don't, I don't know about you, but I find the kind of the Facebook groups and the Reddit groups really upsetting yeah. um there's just something about them like there's an uh, there's like an unhinged quality to it um yeah it's a constant stream of people just find like reddit particularly is a constant stream of people who are at that moment where they've just found out they've got pssd so it just repeat i think it just gives you that trauma again and again and obviously these people need help but like for someone who's suffering who's looking to look after themselves make life a little bit more manageable it's probably best to stay off there you know, maybe still go on but don't go, don't spend all day on it on reddit and uh, the facebook group because it can yeah it can really cause quite a lot of further uh, repeat trauma yeah i think there's a lot of value in finding a kind of i guess you could say a safer group because um, i've now spoken to both of you on the phone and simon you and i have met up we've been walking um and that's a lot more supportive than um you know random name a bunch of numbers on reddit who's yeah. just found out they've got PSSD and is absolutely catastrophizing. Mm. Um, okay. Um, so you mentioned uh, family members there, Simon. And do you think it's, because uh, this is, I'm kind of going through this with my family, where I'm I'm trying not to overwhelm my family with information at the moment. Yeah. I've given them one letter that explained it, and that was months ago. Yeah. Um, and I, I haven't been phoning up every week to tell them, you know, because I've learned other people's experiences of family. Yeah. I'm trying to play a tactical game, which will probably fail. Um, do you think you're banging your head off a brick wall, you know, with some of your family members, or do you think they'll come around, or is it just impossible um, to say? I think so. I've got two sisters, one older, one younger, and parents, and they we all live all over the world. Um, they're all spread over, spread in well, one sister in Portugal. Um, so we all live different places, um, but we're still very close. Um, my dad's been the most empathetic because he's just that kind of person. My mum has been not really very supportive, but I think she's trying to be like the tough, like tough, give me like tough love. I don't know if there's any like value to that at all, but I think it, she just doesn't think it'll help me going like, oh, I'm so sorry. And it, she probably, she might have. A, and my sisters, I find it quite traumatic because they're kind of just getting on with their lives, traveling relationships and so I, as much as I love them and I've got all the time in the world for them I still find it very difficult they all believe what's happened to me deep down um it's extremely difficult because I, I mean I, I've probably taken the, the an opposite approach to you I've told them all everything like I've just said because I just think oh, I've got nothing left to lose so I'll just tell them everything I've no ego now I've got no pride left and I just think like I'm just a piece of meat with no emotions and no, <laughs> no sex drive. So it's like, I have nothing to fear now. I have no fear about anything. I don't even feel fear. Anymore. Like, so I kind of overwhelmed them. And I think that that has really hurt. It has actually been probably more harmful than not because the amount of strain it's put on my family. Like my dad, my dad got diagnosed with cancer the same week I found out about PSSD. Um, luckily it's not aggressive like it's it's actually been improving quite a lot he's got really good like PSA score so it's, it's um, prostate cancer so it seems to be getting a lot better but like it kills me inside because like 
the last thing he wants is more stress. So his life's been wrecked as well. It's impacted his business. He's like thinking of like pulling, shutting up shop. So like that, that has had a massive impact. And my parents like have probably got 10 more wrinkles each since I got PSSD. Like it, it has a tremendous impact on the family. So, and my sister's just like, carry on with their lives and try and distract themselves I think and, I, and I, the worst thing for me is like I've actually said to my family just try and forget I exist because like I can't there's no but like and also like my uncle rings me sometimes and he's like how are you doing how have you been and it's like you wouldn't say that to someone like paralyzed from the neck down any improvements how are you doing it's like so I just feel like sometimes it's better not to talk to family because I have my story hasn't changed in the same situation. The only thing that has changed is things like campaigning, like that. So we, you know, we're all helping with that. I mean, like you know, uh, obviously PSSD network stuff more recently with ads running and PR and bit of marketing here and there. But but like it's not just. I mean, it's not just the PSSD network that I'm sort of really impressed by. It's things like like Roy, your persistence over the years with like the medical. I mean, you've got so much. Documentation, like you've put so much effort over the years, and it's just amazing how, like, how much you've just never given up. And so, it's like it's not just about the awareness, there's lots of people trying behind the scenes to like get doctors to take this more seriously. But, um, there's so much more we can do. And what, what really annoys me is how there's people out there, like the patient safety commissioner, who could easily send out a letter to doctors. There's 45,000 GPs in the UK. I mean, an email even, like it's, it takes 10 minutes to knock an email together, maybe a bit longer. It's like they've had, they've known, like the MHRO have known about this since like 1987. So they've had 36 years to knock an email together. Just do it. Why are they, why are they waiting? Oh, it's ridiculous. And, and it's obviously, it's not just that they're under-resourced. There'll be other, there'll be a lot of other reasons. They'll be getting pressure from elsewhere. But like, it just really angers me that we've been put in this situation. It could have been fixed so it could have been avoided so easy. It's just crazy, absolutely and crazy. It's when you consider that I mean, antidepressants must be one of the top drugs that GPs prescribe. Like they have to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they can't say they don't have time because it's like, well, that's a big chunk of their job, so they should well make time for it. it. Just from from our perspective, knowing what knowing what we know about antidepressants, this whole kind of culture of prescribing them just it looks like a car crash in slow motion. You know, and it just feels like a tidal wave that's going to hit at some point. I, I can't. I don't think I am biologically special. I don't think there's much different. I, I can't imagine there's much different about me. I think there must be a lot of people who are going to experience this this condition on perhaps on a spectrum. Um, mild. We might be on the more severe end, but like I say, I don't think I'm particularly special. And I think um, I think many people will have this possibly without realizing it. Um, and you mentioned. Yeah, I think uh, it was. Um, sorry. There was some that um, suggested um, there's never been any proper prevalent studies on PSSD, um, but there's some studies that suggest it might affect up to one to four percent of people that take it to some degree, and that that's that's actually classified as a, a common effect. If you are um, one in a hundred people, if one in a hundred people suffer from an effect from a drug, it's actually classified as common. So, like you know, it, it might be like sort of more common than, than people know. Um, you know, it's like I mean, obviously not everyone gets it. But yeah. it's like, it's, yeah. I have actually looked at some like potential. So the, the one study suggests, a study in Israel, found that one in 216 people who take SSRIs, not of the general population, who take SSRIs, uh, so 0.46% of people that currently take uh, that take SSRIs have, have enduring sexual dysfunction, um, PSSD. 
and that equates to one point assuming there's a hundred million people currently taking SSRIs around the world that's 1.38 million people around the world living with permanent PSSD if mm. we look at prevalence of yeah another another one was like four percent so that's yeah oh, that's the study I yeah for yeah so and 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 then if you and what what these studies like these prevalence studies fail to like look at I mean so is the fact that it's not just the 100 million people who currently take SSRIs. It's the additional 200 million people who used to take them but don't now. They're not counted. So that 8.3 million people who currently take SSRIs in the UK or the 32 million that currently take them in the US, look at my mm -hmm. family. I used to take them. My mum used to take them. My older sister used to take them. So three out of five of my family members used to take them. We're not in that 8.3 million. So we're yeah, talking yeah. 20 million people either like currently alive in the UK, either used to take them or currently, and then you think about the relate their partners, their family that impacts. This is a national crisis, and then oh, yeah, sure. we don't know the we don't know the true prevalence statistics, and that's one thing I I really need help with. Is we need to find a way of doing a as almost as if the NHS were already doing a study anyway. Can we not add on mm. a question saying, "Did you used to take SRIs? Did you stop more than six months ago?" Have you had any of these? Yeah. Symptoms? Simple as that. Ten and then there was another, yeah. like that, there yeah. was another point that um, Bryn made about the spectrum. Like, um, I think the uh, risk um, organisation mentioned, they did an article about it, that PSSD might be on a spectrum where some people sort of go mostly back to normal, sort of like they regain maybe 70, 80% of their sexuality after they stop the SSRI. They don't go all the way fully back to normal. And yeah. there's never been any studies to sort of work out if people regain all of their sexual function and desire. And um, I think it's like 80%, up to 80% of people who take SSRIs, get this, they, they reckon get at least some form of the sexual effects. So it's like, um, I mean, I've actually personally, over the last 16 years, I've talked to a lot of people who have taken SSRIs. I've met people who, who have said that they've mostly gone back to normal, but after taking SSRIs, they've never, they, the sexual, they, they look back and they remember that they, they've never been as, like their libido has never been quite as high or their orgasm intensity has never been quite as high. But they remember that it used to be a little bit stronger, but it's like because they've mostly gone back to normal, they've kind of accepted it. And it's like, you know, oh, well, or they've put it down to age, they're getting a bit older or, or some other. And it, I reckon there's a sort of, there might be a bigger number of people who have a milder form of the condition who have just kind of, they don't even realise they've got it or they kind of, they know something's not right, but they kind of just have accepted it. Yeah. Um, and it might be that, that there's a big number of people that actually have a milder form, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the, the spectrum idea just sounds totally obvious to me. So we're yeah. all on the spectrum, basically. Um, so, Simon, you were talking a little bit there. I think you mentioned some marketing and things. And obviously, you've, you're a bit of a marketing specialist. And you've been, you've been doing some stuff with PSAT Network recently. Could you tell us a little bit about the advertising campaign? Um, so yeah, so my, my background's in like digital marketing, like SEO and PPC, um, getting basically helping businesses be more discoverable online. Um, so helping with PSSD network has been really interesting. Um, we got a yeah, we got a Google Ads grant recently, so that's that's helped us start advertising pay per click advertising. Um, that's helping us be found for things like why are my genitals numb? Why have I got low libido? Things like that uh so so we're, we're trying it's the kind of things i've probably typed in multiple times over the years and i wish i'd found our ad because sometimes it we don't rank well on google for certain things um 
So there's Google ads. We've also got Twitter ad set up. That's had millions of impressions already. And people are starting to realize, why didn't my doctor? So that's, so that's really helping. And then we've got, uh, we're looking into TikTok and we've got Facebook, uh, but that's been quite difficult to get approval because I think a lot of, the, one of the challenges is these companies, these or like social media giants, they, they are reliant on farmer revenue. So, um, so that's that sort of challenge that we're up against. But we're basically doing the job with these adverts and with this awareness that the government would be doing anyway. So like we're just this tin pot, under-resourced group of people and supported by like, loads of sufferers that help out occasionally and so it's amazing how you know we are getting we've gone from i mean i i I joined quite late to the party so i didn't really start getting involved properly till like march this year but we've grown from like september last year we're already at like 3300 followers on twitter we've had millions of views on tiktok um facebook the page has just launched because we wanted to focus purely on twitter but um so yeah so and then youtube is growing obviously this podcast this vidcast will be part of that um but yeah so that's kind of a, a bit of an overview of the, of the marketing side of things but there are other things i want to look into in the future like content marketing email nurturing we want to get people you know a newsletter maybe an email newsletter network a bit more fundraising activity maybe even some in-person activity um so there's so much we can do but um but i think the biggest challenge is getting big influencers like jordan peterson who himself has been harmed by drugs he had akathisia and he was close to taking his life because of the severity of it and he's been completely silent on the subject of pssd so there's lots of people out there that I think would find this fascinating. But I also feel that there's also a lot of like willful blindness um, about people who know about that decide not to talk about it, whether it's through embarrassment or through they worry that they've got clients that they've like, their entire client base might say, "Why didn't you tell?" Um, so there's a lot. I think there's a lot of psychiatrists and general medical health professionals out there who are quite scared of PSSD because they know that it's a threat to their career and. But but for me, if I knew that I'd harmed someone at work, I would prioritise their needs. I wouldn't give a damn about much. Like it's a job. Get another. Get a different. Job. Like I, I just that really angers me that they that, that there's a lot of people out there who are putting their pride and their prestige of their position ahead of people being irreversibly chemically castrated and lobotomized. Yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? Um, you see it a lot on Twitter with psychiatrists who um, don't really want to recognise us and. Uh... You just wonder if um, it's, it's very hard to accept um, the information about PSSD if you've been prescribing these drugs for a long time. There was one other point I was going to make as well on that note is that an, a normal human response one would expect to someone saying, I was you know, chemically castrated, I've got PSSD, would be, that is awful, I'm so sorry to hear that. But they don't, they say, that's that must be wrong. Like they, they think about themselves and it's like, don't stop thinking about it. You have to get out of your head and realise that there's people who really are suffering. And my, like my usual response is, it's been recognised by the European Medical Agency. It's been covered extensively on BBC Panorama, The Telegraph, Vice News, Epoch Times, The Daily Mail, Independent Ireland. Like there's just so many papers have covered PSSD. You, can't, you cannot deny it. Um, it's, it's sat in stone that this is a real illness and anyone who denies it is a muppet in my I think the thing with the um, the psychiatrists I've seen online often their argument is that antidepressants yeah sure they have side effects but they help people with severe depression and um, that might be true within the walls of the hospital where they're seeing kind of extreme cases every day um, but 
probably the majority of people taking antidepressants for quite mild conditions or completely non-mental health related conditions. And for them, the cost benefit um, equation of whether or not it's worth it is completely different to someone who is in a psychiatric hospital who yeah. presumably has a more severe case. Um, but sorry, the point I was just making is I agree. Like I think um, for, for severe depression, like the SSRIs may be sort of a treatment option that that is is potentially could could help. But I think the um, the risks need to be sort of informed to the person anyhow. Like and that's one of the issues we've got at the moment is there's like no um, informed consent about stuff like PSSD or protracted withdrawal or like potentially severe akathisia, which can happen to people as well on these drugs, which can sometimes lead to even suicide. So it's it's like, yeah, I, I agree that like, yeah, for some people they with severe depression, they might help, but it's also there's, a, we need to have, um, even the people that are taking them for severe depression need to know of the risks, I think as well. Yeah. Am I not, Roy, do you not have some experience with akathisia? Yeah, I, I do. I, I came off um, benzodiazepines as well. I still have mild akathisia. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's quite, I mean, I had it severely at one point and it was, it was very unpleasant. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, so I know what it's like to have it. And uh, yeah, it was, it was very um, frightening. Um, I couldn't keep still at all. Um, I had intense urges to harm myself, even though I wasn't particularly depressed about anything um i felt like there was something crawling under my skin i couldn't sit still i was pacing up and down i had this um sort of irrational urge to like rip my clothes off my body this was when i had severe acne and now i have a sort of chronic uh, mild form of it where i i feel sort of my body feels under tension most of the day and i can't relax mentally or physically like i'll be in bed and i'll have to twitch my feet every sort of two or three seconds and i i can never fully relax um and it's, it's quite unpleasant. Yeah, um, it's, it's not nice, yeah. Okay, so I'm um, coming to last five, 10 minutes or so now. Um, and as a final thing, um, I want us to consider some of the things that have helped us to, to cope. Um, now we all know that living with PSSD is extremely brutal. Um, I know there are a couple of things that I do that, that do help. Um, so for me, um, I play football once a week. Um, I have a lot of, I have some eye issues from PSSD. This is just one of those other, one of those other effects that we have. Like my, my vision is a bit screwed from this whole thing. For some reason though, when I play football, I think it's because of the intense focus of it. I can focus really well. It's like when I'm trying to focus on movement and like watching the ball and stuff. So that's a, like a massive um, kind of stress relief for me that happens once a week. Um, and I pretty much just look forward to that that one hour a week at the moment. That's the one thing that kind of is just where I feel free actually from PSSD. Um, other things I've done, I go for a jog a couple of times a week um, and I've started doing some small kind of container gardening. So I've been planting some flowers and things, not a hobby that I was really into prior to PSSD. I used to be very athletic, used to cycle all the time, used to go rock climbing. I find it really triggering to go back to those hobbies because I just don't quite feel it at the moment. So it's, it's been helpful for me to almost develop new hobbies that are distinct from the ones that I had before. Like I'm not trying to get, I'm not trying to kind of um, recreate who I was before. Like I'm, I'm, I'm accepting there's some level of change. I'm trying to roll with it a little bit. Um, so those are a couple of hobbies that help me. Um, I don't know. Does anyone have anything that has, that has helped them to cope with this? Yeah. Yeah, do you want to go first? Oh, okay. Um, I, I find like uh, reading sort of recovery stories helps me a bit because obviously some people do recover. Um, we don't know how many or whatever, but um, 
I find when I'm really depressed that can that can help um and also I play chess and I do judo those are my two hobbies so like um that helps me sort of distract from sort of um the PSSD and sort of the akathesia to some extent as well speaking about recovery stories I mean it is you know I think you talked to um Adele Framer on Twitter recently, Simon. Um, I don't know if you remember it, but you know, that's an example of someone who um, she says that she had a recovery of her PSSD symptoms. I think it took a number of years. Yeah. Um, and you know, you can find people. And I, the reason I mention her is because I think she's credible. Mm-hmm. You know, you do find people on yeah. Reddit and Facebook saying that they've recovered. And then when you drill into it, they're talking about something completely different. Yeah. So the reason I mention her, and she's the founder of Surviving Antipressants, the website, um, is that I think she knows what we're talking about. So I find yeah. her recovery story to be, like I say, more credible. So I agree with you there, Roy. Um, anti- surviving antidepressants has a lot of recovery stories, not just on PSSD, though, but more antidepressant withdrawal in general. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and you mentioned, um, do you do there, Roy? Do you do that weekly or? Yeah, sometimes twice a week, sometimes once a week. And I, I find like a bit like you with the football, um, it helps me just to sort of switch off and I just have to focus on the judo and it just takes my mind off all of the sort of, all of the, the misery, to be honest, of, of the PSSD. But yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts, Simon? Um, yeah, I mean, one point I wanted to make was you, you were talking about how you want to just do distinctly different hobbies now to what before. And I feel the same with work. Like I've quit my job of 10 years and I'm just doing um, a bit of like freelance work and a few other things. Um, and so I am trying to do the same. I used to play tennis, but I probably find that quite triggering now. I used to go rowing and running. So I've not been I've not been doing very good to be with this kind of thing like like just exercise in general. Like I go for a walk quickly, but I find it everything I do I must have like really bad trauma from this because I, I like I find everything triggering. Like so I'm really struggling to like get and the only thing that I've kind of thinks helps is walking and maybe what going for a walk whilst I speak to someone because I I really am struggling like I, and um helping with PSSD network like that's a good distraction as well i like watching like tv shows and movies i'm a big like horror movie fan and i like shows like the sopranos and breaking bad and things like that i find a a kind of a a good distraction shows that aren't too sexualized um but yeah i need a new i mean i I actually bought an old banger an old car recently to restore uh, so that's kind of keeping me a bit busy um just having a little project so that's something that i'm trying um and I've been done a bit of hiking recently. Like I went to Switzerland, did some hiking there. Uh, and like, obviously I've met you, know, Roy, we need to meet up. Maybe we could all three of us meet up at some point and see if anyone else is up for joining, uh, like Carlton. Um, so yeah, yeah. I think hiking's definitely that helps. I mean, hiking's triggering as well. Everything's triggering. Like we're literally, we've just been forced into a state of perpetual torture with this illness. It's horrible. And it, it's like, it's like being it's like being murdered, but you're still alive. That like you you're forced to observe what's happened to you, and um, so you know you guys are really strong. The fact that you know you're doing your judo and your uh, five side football like that that's I admire that because like I don't have the strength. I just like I I'll go. I've done park run a few times, like a local five k run on a Saturday morning, but only with like my sisters. I have so little motivation. I just yeah. So I'm, I am struggling, but I'm alive and I'm sort of, I think we're making progress. Um, I've quit my gym. I don't go to the gym anymore because I find it too triggering. So it's a nightmare. Well, I think it's one of those things that sometimes you just have to focus on the next hour, the next day, 
and you can't put yourself under too much pressure to, to go out and do things or to be something or to achieve goals. And you know, I think really just we need to take a deep breath and try and re- release that pressure completely and just focus on getting through the day. I think that's totally, yeah. <laughs> totally reasonable under our circumstances. Um, well, um, thanks a lot for um, being here today, guys. Um, I think it's been a, a really good episode. Um, yeah. Uh, so this is episode two of PSSD Network podcast, and like I say, you can go back and listen to episode one. Um, highly recommended, and uh, also visit at PSSD Network. Find us on Twitter and follow us. Um, but we'll leave it there. Thanks very much. All right, nice. Cheers. Thanks. 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 Thanks.